Love to just add a word of welcome to Tony Giles, who's assisting us in leading this service this morning. We're glad that you're here with us at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church on this lovely August Lord's Day morning. We are in the midst of a series in the wonderful letter of the Apostle Paul, the letter of Ephesians. And this morning we are in chapter five for the third time. This is the third of uh, several messages still more that we will consider in this um, chock full chapter, chapter five of Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul speaks to us about what it means to live the Christian life. If you're joining us maybe for the first time this morning in the midst of this series, I want you to know we're going to try to get you up to speed. I don't think you'll be lost at all in this ongoing series because this particular text, even as in the midst of this um, long uh, argument and instruction from the Apostle Paul, this particular text and passage has, has uh, individual and pertinent application to every single one of us here in this, this room. And you don't necessarily have to have the full sweep of everything that the Apostle Paul has said up to now or know everything that's happened in Ephesians to make sense of these particular words. Because he today is really going to drill in on the subject of wisdom for us, and I'm just going to venture this out there, and you can test to see whether it's true or not, but there's probably no one among us here this morning that could say openly and honestly before the Lord and one another, yeah, I don't think I need any more wisdom. I think I've got it all figured out, thank you. I think we're in a good space. I, I, if, if, if you could say that, would you meet with me after service today? I, I need to really get to know you for a variety of reasons. <laughs> we all need wisdom, don't we? It doesn't matter how old or young we are. It doesn't matter the life experiences we've gone through. It doesn't matter our IQ levels. It doesn't, doesn't matter um, how much money we have or resources we have. The, the fact of the matter is we perpetually feel, don't we, like we're playing from behind at this thing called life. And we need the wisdom of God. And it's more as the Lord grants light, even day by day to us, we see more of the ways in which we need wisdom. It's part of the mystery of the Christian life, that the more that you grow in the Christian life, the more needy you sense of both the Lord's grace and of his wisdom. And so as we approach this word from Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, I want you to know the Lord's coming to you to impart to you his heavenly wisdom, not wisdom from the world, but wisdom that comes from the very throne room of heaven itself, which is an enduring wisdom that never fails and is right to the heart of what every single one of us need. We want to look at this text in that way this morning as we consider these words from the Apostle Paul. This is Ephesians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 15, this is God's word. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we ask and plead now for your wisdom. Would you come through those intercessions of the Lord Jesus Christ who stands right now as our advocate? Would you listen to his prayers for us? And would you, through the Holy Spirit, that you promised to attend the worship of your people, come and illumine this word, fill us full of its light and life, that we might walk in wisdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know that one of my favorite authors is Wendell Berry. From time to time, you'll hear me uh, quote him, uh, whether it's in a sermon or in a Sunday school uh, class. We've read as a congregation uh, some works of Barry in our, in our arts um, ministry here at, at Cornerstone. In fact, we read that wonderful uh, novel, Hannah Coulter, not too uh, many years uh, ago. I was stumbling through some of his uh, essays uh, recently, and there's a whole section, as many of you will know, Barry, a Kentucky farmer and an avid writer, essayist, and novelist, poet, um, and really cultural critic in many ways, speaking toward many of the extremes and, and abuses of the modern period, especially associated with technology and, and industry and in all, all manner of, of things related to the late modern world. And he, he favors a kind of agrarian mindset, a mindset that's close to the earth, close to creation and in nature for a variety of reasons. And he has several essays on themes of walking. And in this particular essay, he talks about the importance of, of walking and the pace of of, of walking. He, he says in this essay, walking is best suited to paying attention. He says it's most permissive of all of the gates or the strides in being able to stop and to look. Machines and companies and politicians, well, they run. But farmers, they study their fields by walking. Throughout Ephesians chapter 5, Paul has been using the metaphor of, of walking. He, he's told us in Ephesians 5 verse 2 that we are to be a people who walk in love. He, he told us in Ephesians 5 verse 8 that we are a people that are to walk in the light. And you can see here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, that we are a people who are to walk in wisdom. 
Now, it is true if you look over the pages of Scripture that walking is not the only metaphor that's used to describe the Christian life. Some of you are thinking of Paul's language in Philippians with regards to press on. Or, or the writer of Hebrews who talks about running the race that is set before us. That's true. There are many different pacings, so to speak, in the way that the Bible speaks of the Christian life. But when the Bible talks about wisdom, it slows us down to the pace of walking. Because I don't know about you, you'll, but you've probably never come across wisdom quickly. There's no short path to wisdom. There's no shortcut to wisdom. It must be walked out. It has a pace to it, an attentiveness to it, as Barry put it. It's, it's permissive to give us time to stop and to, to think, to study as the farmer does his, his fields by walking. Throughout Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's been in some ways building us to this particular point, verses 15 to 21, so that he can usher us into the last part of Ephesians, which as you can see, actually, if you have your Bibles open, is going to go into every one of the spheres of our existence, marriage and family and, and parenting and in work and employment and relationship to, to the spiritual world. He's going he's gonna to cover all of the basis of the sphere of life in which we live in. And yet before he does that, he says, I want you to slow down. Don't rush ahead. I, I need to impart to you wisdom. And in all of these walkings, whether it's in love or in light or in, in wisdom, he's telling us that all of these three things really come together to give birth to a healthy Christian life, to sustain us over the long haul of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And so as we look at what it means to walk in, in light and in love today and in wisdom, I want to consider this text with you in three different ways. And these three different ways are evidences that love and light and, and wisdom are actually beginning to take hold of your life as you follow Christ. He says the first evidence that you are a truly beginning to follow Christ closely is that your walk, the way in which you actually live in life, is filled with wisdom. The second evidence that your life is really marked by true intimacy with Christ is that your soul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the third evidence that you're really attentive to where it is that the Lord has you and where he's taking you through the promises of his word and his commands is that your mouth is filled with worship. Your walk is filled with wisdom. Your soul is filled with the Holy Spirit and your mouth is filled with worship. That's what he teaches us in this text. Now we'll see how far we get today whether we actually get to all three of those, but we will at least get to, by God's grace, those first two will then, I think, awaken us to what the richness is of what we're doing right now, which is worshiping in the presence of the living God. Let's start with this. Your walk is filled with wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, what is wisdom. Uh, some of you, when you hear that question, what is wisdom, you, you go back to that intro 
to philosophy class in, in college because you know that the philosophers, well, they are, right, the lovers of, of wisdom. That's what the word actually means. Some of you can go back to your readings in Plato and remember that the, the, the understanding of wisdom comes from studying the transcendentals, the, the forms, and getting a sense of those forms and how those transcendental realities relate to the present world in your day-to-day life. Some of you can remember how Aristotle argued that it's about the metaphysicals. We, we have to know the depth of, of truth and, and that which is the essence of reality if we're ever going to be wisdom. But most of you are saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Which is helpful because the Apostle Paul clarifies it for us. What does he mean here by wisdom? Well, look at verse 15. It is under, or excuse me, verse 17, it is understanding what the will of the Lord is. Look carefully then how you walk not as unwise, but as wise, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. See how he's contrasting. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is opposite of foolishness. It is wisdom. Understand the will of the Lord. Some of you last week when we were looking at the the former section in Ephesians chapter 5, you'll remember something similar that the Apostle Paul wrote. Do you remember how he said that we are to be a people who, verse 8, walk as children of light for the fruit of light is found in good and right and true. Those things which are good and right and true. And then he adds this, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Uh, Notice the connection. Try to discern wisdom, what is pleasing to the Lord. Understand the will of the Lord. He's hitting a similar theme, isn't he? Now, we didn't look at that in great detail last week, so it's important that we stop and we pause for it here. What does it mean to understand the will of the Lord, that we might have wisdom? Well, you know that that word will is used in a variety of ways in the Scripture, it's, it's used related to God's sovereign will. Everything that he has decreed from the beginning to the end, everything that happens in this life is one way, shape, or form according to his will. It is under his sovereignty. Well, the scripture sometimes uses that word will to describe God's wishes or his desires, that it would be his will that we would walk according to his word. Now, the reality is we often don't. So we're not meaning in terms of his sovereignty there. If it was under his decree, it would definitely happen. But this is in terms of his desire. He would, he would will that we would. He would wish that we would. Sometimes we parents will say to our children, you know, I would love it if you would clean your room. We've made our will known, but we haven't said, clean your room. We haven't commanded it. We haven't made it happen. We've, we've let known our desires. We would love to see your room cleaned. It's a great passive-aggressive parent move. You know, just sort of levy a little guilt, just enough to get them to, you know, pick up their clothes off the floor, right? The will of the Lord is sometimes used in a desire sense. Sometimes it's used to describe the Word of God. The Word of God is the will of God. He's written it to us. 
Now, in context here, understanding what the will of the Lord is, understanding and discerning what is pleasing to the Lord is certainly related to the Word of God. But it's more akin to that second piece, which has to do with knowing what God's desires are. Knowing what God's wishes are in every circumstance of life and aligning your heart and life to it. And that's not simply knowing the word. Now, it's not less than that, you understand. You've got to know the, the word, but it's, it's more than that. Understanding what the will of the Lord is, is not merely memorizing Bible verses. It's not merely getting your doctrines correct. It's not merely having your, your daily devotions, meditating on the word day and night. It includes that. It, that's foundational. You can't have wisdom without that, but it's not only that. Understanding the will of the, the Lord is knowing with your feet on the ground with your, with your heart beating in the moment-by-moment moment existence, with, with the dilemmas and the circumstances that are being thrown at you in your family life, in your community, and in your workplace, and at, and at school, it's knowing in those moments what would be pleasing to the Lord. It's practical knowledge and understanding. It's, it's not just getting it right, it's actually... It's actually moving towards what is pleasing in the fullness of his meaningfulness in the moment-by-moment -moment existence of daily life. You know, my oldest daughter's car bit the dust on Friday. I was preparing for the new college convocation, and I got that phone call. She was stranded off of... Royal Oaks, you, you know where Royal Oaks is over here off of 96. And I thought to myself, didn't we just put like a couple of thousand dollars into this car like 14 months ago? I had really warm and kind feelings arise in my soul when I heard <laughs> that her car was broken down. And then I got in, you know, I'll be there, honey, in a minute. You're fine. Yes, I'm fine. And so I'll go and, and, and yeah, it's just, it's kaput. It's, it's gone. It, bye bye. We will not see this car again. And then in that moment, there was a lots of questions, right, that began to arise in my, in my mind uh, when that happened. Um, she was leaving for college the next day. She's in Starville, Mississippi today, moving in. So I thought to myself, first of all, what are we going to do? We have no money. She's taking all of my money. She's, <laughs> I don't... So what are, we, what are we going to do? Do we buy another car before she goes back? Does she take one of our cars before we go? Does, do I pay for this? Does she pay for this? Is it time for her to start paying for things? And um, do we take her to college? She could buy a couple of other days. She was going a few days early. Um, do we wait a couple of weeks to figure it out financially? Do I call my parents and beg? Do I, do, do, you know, what are the spiritual lessons from this? What does the Lord want to teach us from this? What does the Lord want to teach um, her in this? All of his providence is meaningful. Nothing happens by happen chance or surprise. Um, why would he decide? Well, in his wisdom and in his love would decide that this is the right time for the, the car to break down, for the Sheridans to be, to be put in this crucible. What, what is it intended to communicate? None of that's written in the Word. It all requires wisdom. 
No, all of the word speaks to all of those things, doesn't it? It speaks to raising a child. It speaks to financial stewardship. It speaks to timing and, and pacing. It, it speaks to all kinds of things. The Bible is rich in abiding principles, but it doesn't say, buy a Honda next time. Right? It doesn't, there's not, you can't find that verse in the scripture. Now, all of you would say, buy a Honda next time. But, uh, but, but there's not that that's there. Wisdom is having the practical knowledge of how to bring the will of the Lord is revealed in the scripture toward what his heart would desire with the providence and circumstances that he's given to you so that his glory and the good of his people can be done. And that requires wisdom. Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't walk with a lack of wisdom. Walk with, with wisdom. And, and this is tricky. And some of us, because of our souls being formed and shaped in different ways, really struggle to, to go deep enough in this pace, this walking of wisdom, to be attentive and slow down instead of rushing forward. Did you notice how this text began? Look carefully. Have your eyes open. See, look. How do you look? Full of care. Don't look quickly, hastily, doubtfully, anxiously. Look carefully how you walk, how you live. Be full of, of care. Can you be fast and careful? Answer carefully. There's a pace to this, isn't there? The way of wisdom is found on the other side of being watchful and careful. This is sometimes why the Bible so deeply connects wisdom with old age, doesn't it? It's not because older persons are inherently wisdom. Have we all met old fools? We've all met old fools, and we've also met people who are wise beyond their years, right? We use that phrase for someone who's evidencing wisdom when they're, when they're young. But, but often, wisdom is something that's forged over the time of experience, because what happens over that, that, that walking and that experience is you, well, most of us, by God's grace, learn a thing or two. We can, we can see things that we couldn't otherwise see. We've looked, often by mistakes, and now as we enter into something that we used to move quickly through, we're careful. We're, we're slower. We're, we're more intentional. Considering the lay of the land, weighing the truth of God's word, weighing his desires, our own, our own heart, we're negotiating, so to speak, righteousness. Wisely. You see, some of us are, are looking for what I'm going to call here a kind of narrow naivety. And we live with a kind of narrow naivety. What do I, what do I mean by that? Well, some of us live with a just tell me what to do mentality. Just, just tell me what to do. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to research it. I don't want to pray about it. I don't have to do the hard work of coming to the right decision. I just want a formula. I want a method. I want to keep it, 
keep it really simple for me, naivety, narrowness. Where we just think, I, I just want to get through life that way. Others of us are the, are the opposite in our response. We kind of, we kind of live with a broad ambiguity. Everything is so complex. There's so many different angles. There's so many different perspectives. There's so many cars out there to purchase. How do you know which one is the right one? What if we buy another one like this? And we get paralyzed with, with doubt and with options. And we just circle the plane. Like we just circle the plane over and over and over and over our decisions. Some of us live with this sort of, just tell me what to do. And others of us are just like broad, ambiguous. There's no way to know what to do. The Bible doesn't do either one of those things. Uh, the Bible refuses to live in the murky ambiguity. It refuses to settle for the thoughtless, just tell me what to do, state of mind. It's a thoughtful, prayerful path. It doesn't jump to quick fixes or is paralyzed by doubt. It's a steady commitment to seek the Lord and his face and his word for daily light. For daily light. This is why Proverbs over and over says to us, doesn't it? Seek wisdom where you can find it. Find wisdom. Go after it. Now, what does that mean? How can you do that? Well, it starts today by being attentive to your mind. How is it running? Where is it going? What are the habits of it? Are you being careful with the habits of mind and heart that you develop? How you're spending your, your time and your, your resources? What, what are the, the patterns of the formation of your life? Who is influencing you? And how is their influence shaping you? And what does that shape? What direction is it going to give to your life? Spotting ahead of time those realities. That's wisdom. Practically speaking, it's paying attention to those things now. For those who in the narrow naivety, the sort of just tell me what to do, you're saying to yourself, that sounds like I've got to sort of like daily work at this. Yes, you're, you're, you're on to something. And, and so for those of us with that sort of broad ambiguity piece, sometimes we, we want to stay there because we, well, we don't really want to be told what to do. And we want to keep our options open. So it's just going to become all really complex. And the Lord's saying here, na narrow this because you've got something to redeem. You've got something to do right now. You've got a calling on your life out of this wisdom. This wisdom is not just something you collect. It's something you deploy. It's something you invest in the actual actions of your life. Notice verse 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. You've got something to do. Why go to all this trouble of seeking wisdom, finding wisdom, forging wisdom? Because you've got to redeem the opportunities that have been given to you. Now, as you can see, the ESV translates verse 16, making the best use 
of the time because the days are evil. Older translations, many of you will be reminded of, uses the language redeem the time. Some of you will know that phrase. And that's actually much closer to the meaning of uh, the Greek. It, it's actually the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in other places in his letters like Galatians chapter 3 for redemption. Redemption, a word that we use directly connected to salvation. To redeem something means to buy it back, to purchase it. He's literally saying here, buy up the opportunities that God is giving to you. Purchase them. Purchase those opportunities. Redeem uh, the, the time. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Redeem it. Buy it, buy it up. He's actually very particular about the way he wants you to think about this purchasing. The language for the word time there is the Greek word kairos. There's two Greek words that's used regularly for time in the New Testament. One is chronos, from where we get the word chronology, which just means the movement of time. Or the word kairos, which means a, a moment in time, a specific moment in time, or a special set-apart moment in time. If we were to think about this in Paul's language, he's saying, look carefully how you walk and how you live. Have your eyes peeled for the moments of time that are opportunities to purchase for the glory of God and the good of his people. Be looking for them. Be careful in how you move through all of your life so that you'll see Kairos. You'll see the opportunities. A wise man is going to buy up the opportunities that the Lord gives to him. A wise woman is going to snap up every opportunity that God provides. Hey, you know, when you, you have those conversations with that coworker. And it ventures into the arena of spirituality. Or they share a crisis that's going through in their life and you know that they don't know Christ. Kairos. You know, your child comes to you and says, Dad, how are we going to pay for this car? I've got that on my mind this morning. And you say, hey, this is a Kairos moment. This is not just time passing by. This is not just chronology. This is, a, this is a, what I say here matters. This is a buying up. This is an investment. This is a kairos time. You see, the Christian is looking carefully how he or she is walking and is spotting because they know the will of God. This is an opportunity that needs to be bought up and snatched up and leveraged for the purposes of the kingdom. When you are walking according to the love of God, you have a stability and a foundation in your soul because you know you're standing with him. When you're walking according to the light of the word, you have clarity because you've been in his word. And then as you walk out into the world and it's complex and there's many different paths and many people whispering at you, many different options, you begin with the love of God and the light of God. You begin to see wisely how to walk. Not this way, not that way, not this way, not th This is the path. Okay, I see what, Lord, I see what you're doing. We love, don't we, to have light way in advance of when we need it. 
Aren't you like that? You, you just, you love to know, you know, before tomorrow comes, what's going to happen tomorrow and how to navigate every twist and turn that comes. Do you know that's not how the Lord works? Isn't it interesting that the Lord, in his wisdom, in the scriptures, tells you the end of time. Do you know, you're, you, you don't have to worry about the end of time. Jesus is going to come back. All is going to be made right. All rights will be wrong. All justice will be served. God's people will be saved. We will be glorified. We will dwell forever in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be righteous and see him even as he is. There's the end of life. The Bible tells you that. What you don't know is what's going to happen tomorrow. That's the wisdom of the word, you see. Is to live by the light of eternity. To live by the light of eternity, not the light of the headlines of tomorrow's newspaper, not the light of the anxieties or fears of your life, not the light of your plummeting bank account. But living by the light of eternity, Kairos time, buying up the opportunities which the Lord has given to you. Now, where is this kind of wisdom going to come from? Well, we've talked about some disciplines here. We've talked about some practices. But, you know, ultimately this wisdom doesn't come from, from you. I don't mean to be bad news bears here this morning. But you can't get there from here. It's actually good news at the end of the day. Notice verse 18 is the key to how to understand ultimately the sourcing of this wisdom. Notice what he says. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You know how we said point one was, you're living by the love and light of God if you're walking full of the wisdom of God. And you know that the love and the light of God and His wisdom is growing of you if the Spirit is full within you, right? The fullness of the Spirit must be a reality in the life and the heart of the believer. Now, it may seem in the midst of our discussion here that this verse sort of comes out of nowhere. Like, did you see alcohol coming as instruction in this verse? I, I didn't see that as you just sort of read through. But here, here he makes it very clear. Um, do not get drunk with, with wine, but notice the contrast. Be filled. Don't be filled with alcohol. You're going to want to, when your daughter's car breaks down, go get a drink. <laughs> Don't be filled with, with alcohol. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you, you, can, you can't see the direct connection, but, but think, if, oh, he's talking to us about wisdom, isn't he? He's talking to us about wisdom. When you are impaired by alcohol, what, what begins to, to happen? Well, your, your reaction times are slowed. Your perception of reality is, is blurred. Your, your, your faculties are, are limited. And, and you can't recognize Kairos. You won't, you won't see it. You won't even know what time it is, much less to redeem it. He actually, this word for debauchery here is the word for wasting. You'll, you'll literally miss it. You, you'll miss it. You'll miss. You, you'll, you'll, you'll dissipate your life. You won't buy it up. You won't buy up the opportunities. You'll, you'll waste them. 
You missed him. Now, with the church at Ephesus, you remember last time we talked about the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, this, this grand, one of the seven wonders of the world, this, this town that was known for, well, as we talked about it in some detail, sexual perversion, uh, temple prostitutes, cultic practices around almost every kind of sexual extreme. And, and, and you might, this is going to come as no surprise, alongside sexual perversion came the abuse of alcohol. I mean, the abuse of, of drink. He's addressing here directly the cultural moment of the church at Ephesus. He's also probably addressing the instincts of some of these believers in the midst of the struggles that they're facing. What, what are they facing? Persecution, opposition, challenge. Don't, don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, let the Holy Spirit have a controlling influence on you. Let the Spirit and His desires, attending to the Word, have a controlling influence on you. Be filled. It's an imperative. Now, he's not saying, of course, that you don't have the Spirit and you've got to go somehow get the Spirit inside of you, right? When you are saved... The moment you trust in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the dwelling place of the living God. He's not saying that sometimes you're the dwelling place and sometimes you're not, and it all depends on how well you're living. That's, that's not what he's saying. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you if you are a true believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the manifestation of the controlling influence of the spirit that dwells within you comes in degrees. Comes in degrees. You are not at every moment of your Christian life equally controlled by the desires of the spirit. You know this. This is no surprise. Other times when you lay hold of the promises of the word, when you're prayerful with the Lord, when you're walking deeply with the Lord, when you're, you're in that kind of state of mind and your, your, your heart is being refreshed, your burdens are being lightened and your, your eyes are becoming clear and your, the extremes of the lust of the flesh are being narrowed in your, your life and you're channeling your energies towards the things that are good and right and true and you're discerning what is pleasing with the Lord. You know what's going on in you? You're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, that's not of you. That's a gift of God's grace. He says, you want to know where the source of this kind of wisdom comes from? It doesn't come from reading a gazillion blogs and listening to a million podcasts so that you can like feel journals and notebooks full of worldly wisdom and life hack everything. That's not heavenly wisdom. In fact, haven't you found that the more you know, the more you need to know? Have you noticed this? I remember when this dawned on me in college because I went to college to learn everything, like everything and to do everything right. And, and then I got through college and I thought, I don't know everything and I'm not doing everything right. And I remember, it's a little silly, I remember sitting down with one of my professors and telling him like, I don't know everything. 
and I'm done with college. Like, I thought you had to know everything at the end of college. I don't know everything. And, and he said, like, welcome to life. Like, welcome. And, and, and the process of, of life and of growing in the knowledge and understanding and wisdom of the Lord is an exercise of faith daily where you need moment by moment light for the journey. Do you see, the Lord really believes in this faith thing. You know what I really wanted? I wanted to know enough so I could control everything. I know none of you feel that way about life. But you know, I thought if I knew enough, if I figured out everything, I could control everything. I could control the outcomes. I could plot my course and nothing would get in my way. And as you can see, cars break down. Life, life is not controlled by my knowledge or my understanding. Or, or, and I realized that I must live by faith. Do you know, it's when, isn't it, when in the moment of those crises, that's a very small crisis, isn't it? In the midst of, like to be the age I am now, I look at a broken car and praise God. I mean, it could be, right? I mean, you know, but when you're 19, feels different, doesn't it? When your, your car breaks down, it's a different, different thing. And, and the wisdom of knowing it's a different thing for them than it is for you. And that's going to require wisdom to know how to talk about it and reflect on it and guide. I can't just act like a 40-year-old. I've got to pace in a 19-year-old mind and help bring it up. It requires wisdom, you see. That requires actually something that he says a little bit later, submitting yourself to one another out of reverence to Christ. You know, wisdom comes, when wisdom really comes in your life, you start serving. You start serving one another. You start laying aside your own interests to take up the interests of others. Because you, you know what you're seeing now? The wisdom of Jesus. And what did he do? He laid his life down for his people. That's what he did. There is no wisdom that's unserving with regards to the Bible. There's no selfish wisdom. There's only selfless. There's only sacrificial wisdom. We have to have a deep and vital and real embrace of the promises of God, a real and vital communion with God in, in prayer. Now, I can't go into detail about this, but you see it, don't you, in the text. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you are being forged in the way and the walk of wisdom, and all of this is increasing in the course of your life, what begins to happen? Well, your mouth is filled with worship. That's where Paul really goes here. Your mouth is filled with, with worship. It would be wonderful to sit in this language for a, a while. I won't burden you in that way. Look at verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Would you notice something here that I think is really important? The wisdom of this moment right here. How is it that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit and grow in wisdom? Let me just cut to the chase with these verses. Go to worship. You're like, well, of course, you're a pastor. You'd say that, right? I think Paul says that. Where are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs sung? 
Did you notice, do you notice the language here in verse 9? Addressing one another. Isn't that very interesting? How do you address one another? By singing to one another. You know, some of us have thought that worship is only about God. Now, let me tell you, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's certainly and ultimately about him. Notice later in verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, right? Some of us say, though, when we come into worship, it really, all that matters is me and God, me and my worship with God. That's not all that matters in the midst of worship. Every single person around you matters. And when you open up your lips to sing, the people around you are hearing the truth of it. That's what Paul is saying. How many times have you been singing a hymn? You've been hearing a word. Maybe you're in the midst of a sermon and you go, man, I needed to hear that. It probably came from a human voice. Someone addressed you. Now, ultimately, right, you're saying, well, I thought that was the Holy Spirit. Of course it was. The Holy Spirit uses means. And do you know one of the means he uses? Each other. In the midst of worship, each other. Now, listen, very, very quickly, want to be careful. Let me encourage you to sing in worship. You, you know who you are. Right? We live in Nashville. You've got to have a great voice. Right? That's what we think. Right? You've got to have a great voice. No, you don't. The, the commands here given in the word is that making that joyful noise is assisting the growth and wisdom of the people all around you. They're being addressed by the truth and the reality of the word. Now, you don't have to sing loudly. I'm not asking you to be a solo in the midst of the congregation. But sing. Sing with your heart to the Lord. Not perfunctory. Not formulaic. But address one another. With your voices. That you might prepare for one another to walk as Jesus walked. What do you think submitting to one another means? Submitting to one another. Jesus had this mind that is yours in him. That he did not consider equality with God. A thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And he delivered himself up and died for us, even a death on the cross, he says. Do you see, this is why when you're in the midst of worship, there's renewal that happens, you see. That's why it's important. Do you notice when you're away from worship for very long, bad things? <laughs> you lose your way. You lose your way. Some of you have said, you know, you're in worship every week, Pastor. It is true. Um, some of you have said, well, you must be really holy. Well, have, you, have you gotten to know me? I mean, there's a lot of work here. I'm, I'm constantly learning there's more work, right, that needs, needs to be done. The, the truth is, in some cases, is that the Lord calls people into ministry, but he calls you every week here because he wants to keep us on a short chain. Because he loves us. He loves us. And he knows that if we get too far on our, on our own, we'll lose our way. What a joy to be in worship, right? 
What a joy to hear the voices around you. We're about to sing in a minute. Let's listen to each other's voices as we sing and make melody to the Lord with our hearts. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, would you meet us here and grow us up in wisdom as we acknowledge right now being grounded in your love, having the fullness of the light of your word revealed And the Holy Spirit who comes as an illuminator filling our hearts to awaken us to these truths. Lord, would we now be people who are equipped to make the best use of the time, to buy the opportunities up, that we might live out the beautiful, shining grace that is ours in Christ Jesus in the world. Lord, hear that. Hear that and minister now among us as your people in that way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.